Book Five, Canto Seven of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Seven. Britomart comes to Isis Church, where she strange vision sees. She fights with Radigand, her slays, and Artegall thence frees. Naught is on earth more sacred or divine that gods and men do equally adore than this same virtue that doth right define. For the heavens themselves, whence mortal men implore right in their wrongs, are ruled by righteous lore of highest Jove, who doth true justice deal to his inferior gods, and evermore therewith contains his heavenly commonweal, the skill whereof to princes' hearts he doth reveal. Well, therefore, did the antique world invent that justice was a god of sovereign grace, and altars unto him, and temples lent, and heavenly honors in the highest place, calling him great Osiris, of the race of the old Egyptian kings that whilom were, with feigned colors shading a true case. For that Osiris, whilst he lived here, the justest man alive and truest did appear. His wife was Isis, whom they likewise made a goddess of great power and sovereignty, and in her person cunningly did shade that part of justice which is equity, whereof I have to treat here presently. Unto whose temple, when his Britomart arrived, she with great humility did enter in, ne would that night depart, but Talus mote not be admitted to her part. There she received was in goodly wise of many priests, which duly did attend upon the rites and daily sacrifice, all clad in linen robes with silver hemmed. And on their heads, with long locks comely kemmed, they wore rich mitres shaped like the moon, to show that Isis doth the moon portend, like as Osiris signifies the sun, for that they both, like race, in equal justice run. The championess them greeting, as she could, was thence by them into the temple led, whose goodly building, when she did behold, borne upon stately pillars, all dispread with shining gold, and arched overhead, she wondered at the workman's passing skill, whose like before she never saw nor read, and thereupon long while stood gazing still, but thought that she thereon could never gaze or fill. Thence forth unto the idol they her brought, the which was framed all of silver fine, so well as could with cunning hand be wrought, and clothed all in garments made of line, hemmed all about with fringe of silver twine. Upon her head she wore a crown of gold, to show that she had power in things divine, and at her feet a crocodile was rolled, that with his wreathed tail her middle did enfold. One foot was set upon the crocodile, and on the ground the other fast did stand, so meaning to suppress both forged guile and open force, and in her other hand she stretched forth a long white slender wand. Such was the goddess, whom when Britomart had long beheld, herself upon the land she did prostrate, and with right humble heart unto herself her silent prayers did impart to which the idol, as it were inclining, her wand did move with amiable look, by outward show her inward sense defining, who well perceiving how her wand she shook, it as a token of good fortune took. By this 
the day with damp was overcast and joyous light the house of jove forsook which when she saw her helmet she unlaced and by the altar's side herself to slumber placed for other beds the priests there used none but on their mother earth's dear lap did lie and bake their sides upon the cold hard stone tenure themselves to sufferance thereby and proud rebellious flesh to mortify for by the vow of their religion they tied were to steadfast chastity and continence of life that all forgone they mote the better tend to their devotion therefore they mote not taste of fleshly food ne feed on aught the which doth blood contain ne drink of wine for wine they say is blood even the blood of giants which were slain by thundering jove in the phlegrian plain for which the earth as they the story tell wroth with the gods which to perpetual pain had damned her sons which gainst them did rebel with inward grief and malice did against them swell and of their vital blood the which was shed into her pregnant bosom forth she brought the fruitful vine whose liquor bloody red having the minds of men with fury fraught mote in them stir up old rebellious thought to make new war against the gods again such is the power of that same fruit that not the fell contagion may thereof restrain ne within reason's rule her madding mood contain there did the warlike maid herself repose under the wings of isis all that night and with sweet rest her heavy eyes did close after that long day's toil and weary plight where whilst her earthly parts with soft delight of senseless sleep did deeply drowned lie there did appear unto her heavenly sprite a wondrous vision which did close imply the course of all her fortune and posterity her seemed as she was doing sacrifice to isis decked with mitre on her head and linen stole after those priestess guise all suddenly she saw transfigured her linen stole to robe of scarlet red and moon-like mitre to a crown of gold that even she herself much wondered at such a change and joyed to behold herself adorned with gems and jewels manifold and in the midst of her felicity an hideous tempest seemed from below to rise through all the temple suddenly that from the altar all about did blow the holy fire and all the embers strow upon the ground which kindled privily into outrageous flames unwares did grow that all the temple put in jeopardy of flaming and herself in great perplexity with that the crocodile which sleeping lay under the idol's feet in fearless bower seemed to awake in horrible dismay as being troubled with that stormy stour and gaping greedy wide did straight devour both flames and tempest with which grown great and swollen with pride of his own peerless power he gan to threaten her likewise to eat but that the goddess with her rod him back did beat though turning all his pride to humblest meek himself before her feet he lowly threw and gan for grace and love for her to seek which she accepting he so near her drew that of his game she soon and wombed grew and forth did bring a lion of great might that shortly did all other beasts subdue with that she waked full of dreadful fright and doubtfully dismayed through that so uncouth sight so thereupon long while she musing lay with thousand thoughts feeding her fantasy 
until she spied the lamp of lightsome day uplifted in the porch of heaven high. Then up she rose, fraught with melancholy, and forth into the lower parts did pass, whereas the priests she found full busily about their holy things for morrow mass, whom she saluting fair, fair resaluted was. But by the change of her uncheerful look they might perceive she was not well in plight, or that some pensiveness to heart she took. Therefore, thus one of them, who seemed in sight to be the greatest and the gravest white, to her bespake, Sir Knight, it seems to me that there are evil rest of this last night, or ill-appaid, or much dismayed ye be, that by your change of cheer is easy for to see. Certes, said she, sith ye so well have spied the troublous passion of my pensive mind, I will not seek the same from you to hide, but will my cares unfold, in hope to find your aid to guide me out of error blind. Say on, quoth he, the secret of your heart, for by the holy vow which me doth bind, I am adjured by counsel to impart to all that shall require my comfort in their smart. Then gan she to declare the whole discourse of all that vision which to her appeared, as well as to her mind it had recourse, all which when he unto the end had heard, like to a weak faint-hearted man he fared, through great astonishment of that strange sight, and with long locks upstanding, stiffly stared like one adored with some dreadful sprite, so filled with heavenly fury, thus he her behight, Magnific virgin, that in quaint disguise of British arms dost mask thy royal blood, so to pursue a perilous emprise. How couldst thou ween through that disguised hood to hide thy state from being understood? Can from the immortal gods aught hidden be? They do thy lineage and thy lordly brood, they do thy sire lamenting sore for thee, they do thy love forlorn in women's thraldom see. The end whereof, and all the long event they do to thee in this same dream discover. For that same crocodile doth represent the righteous knight that is thy faithful lover, like to Osiris in all just endeavor. For that same crocodile Osiris is, that under Isis' feet doth sleep for ever, to show that Clemence oft in things amiss restrains those stern behests and cruel dooms of his. That night shall all the troublous storms assuage, and raging flames that many foes shall rear to hinder thee from the just heritage of thy sire's crown, and from thy country dear. Then shalt thou take him to thy loved fear, and join an equal portion of thy realm, and afterwards a son to him shalt bear, that lion-like shall show his powers extreme. So bless thee, God, and give thee joyance of thy dream. All which... When she unto the end had heard, she much was eased in her troublous thoughts, and on those priests bestowed rich reward, and royal gifts of gold and silver wrought she for a present to their goddess brought. Then taking leave of them, she forward went to seek her love, where he was to be sought, ne rested till she came without relent unto the land of Amazons as she was bent. Whereof when news to Radigand was brought, not with amaze, as women wanted be, she was confused in her troublous thought, but filled with courage and with joyous glee, as glad to hear of arms, the which now she had long surceased, she bade to open bold that she the face of her new foe might see. 
But when they of that iron man had told, Which late her folk had slain, She bade them forth to hold. So there, without the gate, as seemed best, She caused her pavilion to be pight, In which stout Britomart herself did rest, Whilst Talus watched at the door all night. All night likewise they of the town, In fright upon their wall, Good watch and ward did keep. The morrow next, so soon as dawning light, Bad do away the damp of drowsy sleep, The warlike Amazon out of her bower did peep, And caused straight a trumpet loud to shrill, To warn her foe to battle soon be pressed. Who long before awoke, for she full ill could sleep all night, That in unquiet breast did closely harbor such a jealous guest, Was to the battle whilom ready dight, Eftsoons that warrioress with haughty crest did issue forth, already for the fight. On the other side her foe appeared soon in sight. But ere they reared hand, the Amazon began the straight conditions to propound, with which she used still to tie her phone, to serve her so as she the rest had bound. Which when the other heard, she sternly frowned for high disdain of such indignity, and would no longer treat, but bade them sound for her no other terms should ever tie than what prescribed were by laws of chivalry. The trumpets sound, and they together run with greedy rage, and with their falchions smot. Nay, either sought the other's strokes to shun, but through great fury both their skill forgot and practic use in arms, nispared not their dainty parts which nature had created so fair and tender, without stain or spot for other uses than they them translated, which they now hacked and hewed, as if such use they hated. As when a tiger and a lioness are met at spoiling of some hungry prey, both challenge it with equal greediness, but first the tiger claws thereon did lay, and therefore loath to lose her right away, doth in defence thereof full stoutly stand, to which the lion strongly doth gainsay, that she to hunt the beast first took in hand, and therefore ought it have, wherever she had fond, full fiercely laid the Amazon about, and dealt her blows unmercifully sore, which Britomart withstood with courage stout, and them repaid again with double more. So long they fought, that all the grassy floor was filled with blood, which from their sides did flow, and gushed through their arms, that all in gore they trod, and on the ground their lives did strow, like fruitless seed, of which untimely death should grow. At last proud Radigand, with fell despite, having by chance espied advantage near, let drive at her with all her dreadful might, and thus upbraiding said, This token bear unto the man whom thou dost love so dear, and tell him for his sake thy life thou gavest. Which spiteful words she sore in grieved to hear thus answered, Lewdly thou my love depravest, who shortly must repent that now so vainly bravest. Nathless that stroke so cruel passage found that, glancing on her shoulder-plate, it bit unto the bone, and made a grisly wound, that she her shield through raging smart of it could scarce uphold. Yet soon she it requit, for having force increased through furious pain, she her so rudely on the helmet smit that it impierced to the very brain, and her proud person, low prostrated on the plain where being laid 
The wrathful Britannus stayed not till she came to herself again, but in revenge both of her love's distress, and her late vile reproach, though vaunted vain, and also of her wound which sordid pain, she with one stroke both head and helmet cleft. Which dreadful sight, when all her warlike train there present saw, each one of sense bereft fled fast into the town, and her sole victor left. But yet so fast they could not home retreat, but that swift Talus did the foremost win, and pressing through the press unto the gate, pell-mell with them at once did enter in. There then a piteous slaughter did begin, for all that ever came within his reach, he with his iron flail did thresh, so thin that he no work at all left for the leech, like to an hideous storm which nothing may impeach. And now, by this, the noble conqueress herself came in, her glory to partake, where, though revengeful vow she did profess, yet when she saw the heaps which he did make of slaughtered carcasses, her heart did quake for very ruth, which did it almost rive, that she his fury willed him to slake, for else he sure had left not one alive, but all in his revenge of spirit would deprive. Though when she had his execution stayed, she for that iron prison did inquire, in which her wretched love was captive laid, which breaking open with indignant ire, she entered into all the parts entire, where when she saw that loathly uncouth sight of men disguised in womanish attire, her heart gan grudge for very deep despite of so unmanly mask in misery misdight. At last, when as to her own love she came, whom like disguise no less deformed had, at sight thereof abashed with secret shame she turned her head aside, as nothing glad to have beheld a spectacle so bad. And then too well believed that which tofore jealous suspect as true untruly drad, which vain conceit now nourishing no more, she sought with Ruth to salve his sad misfortune sore. Not so great wonder and astonishment did the most chaste Penelope possess to see her lord that was reported drent, and dead long since in dolorous distress come home to her in piteous wretchedness after long travel of full twenty years, that she knew not his favor's likeliness for many scars and many hoary hairs, but stood long staring on him mongst uncertain fears. Ah, my dear lord, what sight is this? quoth she. What may game hath misfortune made of you? Where is that dreadful manly look? Where be those mighty palms the which ye want embrew in blood of kings, and great hosts to subdue? Could aught on earth so wondrous change have wrought, as to have robbed you of that manly hue? Could so great courage stupid have to aught? Then farewell, fleshly force, I see thy pride is not. Thenceforth she straight into a bower him brought, and caused him those uncomely weeds undight, and in their steed for other raiment sought, whereof there was great store and armors bright, which had been reft from many a noble knight whom that proud Amazon subdued had, whilst fortune favored her success in fight. In which, when as she him anew had clad, she was revived, and joyed much in his semblance glad. So there a while they afterwards remained, him to refresh, and her late wounds to heal, during which space she there as princess reigned, 
and changing all that form of commonweal the liberty of women did repeal which they had long usurped and them restoring to men's subjection did true justice steal that all they as a goddess her adoring her wisdom did admire and hearken to her loring for all those nights which long in captive shade had shrouded been she did from thraldom free and magistrates of all that city made and gave to them great living and large fee and that they should for ever faithful be made them swear fealty to artegall who when himself now well recured did see he purposed to proceed whatso befall upon his first adventure which him forth did call full sad and sorrowful was britomart for his departure her new cause of grief yet wisely moderated her own smart seeing his honour which she tendered chief consisted much in that adventure's brief the care whereof and hope of his success gave unto her great comfort and relief that womanish complaints she did repress and tempered for the time her present heaviness there she continued for a certain space till through his want her woe did more increase then hoping that the change of air and place would change her pain and sorrow somewhat ease she parted thence her anguish to appease meanwhile her noble lord sir artegall went on his way nay ever hour did cease till he redeemed had that lady thrall that for another canto will more fitly fall end of canto seven recording by thomas copeland